Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Some of us come to church for worship, some of us come for fellowship, but I think all of us come to hear the word of God, whether we're online or whether in the room. So the word of God is scripturally based, of course, and we've got the father of the house, Ali Kent, coming to bring an amazing message this morning because God's word is transformational. God's word is life-changing. God's word teaching us things. So before Ali gets up and we hear this powerful message that God is bringing through Ali this morning, we're just going to watch a video. Thanks, guys. Oh, he's changed his mind. Ali, let's get Ali Kent up. Come on, let's give him a round of applause. Thanks, Claire. Morning, everybody. In the room, online, great to have you with us uh, at the Rock Church this morning. I don't know whether any of you remember a story from, we're going back 20 years now. It was an account from Georgia, USA, of a man who was beaten and left naked behind some bins of a Burger King. Uh, he was taken into hospital he came round but had severe amnesia. Does this ring a bell with anyone? Is this new for you? No, well, I came across this. I'd not heard this. Uh, the, the difficulty was he didn't know who he was, where he was, and he had no identification to help him establish those crucial facts of life. I'm going to do a watch the video now, just a quick summary, two or three minutes, just so you can... On August 31st, 2004... At 5 a.m. in Richmond Hill, Georgia, a Burger King employee found someone unconscious, sunburnt, injured, and naked behind a Burger King dumpster. He had no ID, no idea who he was or how he got there. He had trauma to his skull and ant bites on his body. He was brought to St. Joseph's Hospital in Savannah with no ID. He was in the hospital records as Burger King Doe. He believed his first name was Benjamin and the last name Kyle was used as a placeholder. He also believed he was born 10 years before Michael Jackson was born. He also thought he may have passed through Richmond Hill, Georgia, either on Route 17 or Interstate 95, in late August 2004. He also believed he may have been traveling because of Hurricane Charlie. According to The Guardian, when Kyle awoke, he had lost his sight. My cataracts were gone, and I didn't have insurance. I couldn't see more than a couple of feet. After being bounced between hospitals in Savannah, 10 miles from Richmond Hill, Kyle ended up in a men's shelter called Grace House, where he roomed with alcohol and drug abusers and was trapped by his blindness. You had to leave Grace House during the day, he says. All I can do is sit in the courtyard and wait for them to reopen. One morning I crossed the road. I couldn't see if there's any cars coming. He pauses and I asked if this was a suicide attempt. Well, I couldn't see the cars, he answered. Nine months after he was found, a charity paid for Kyle's cataracts to be treated. When he finally saw himself in the mirror, he didn't recognize himself. He had thought he was 20 years younger. Kyle then found himself at the J.C. Lewis Health Center. Catherine Slater was a psychiatric nurse working there. When Kyle was finally fit to leave J.C. Lewis, his lack of a social security number limited his options. Slater offered that he could stay there and work, get paid a small wage, helping to assist the patients. Also in 2007, he was diagnosed with disassociative amnesia. Slater helped Kyle try to find his identity. She contacted Georgia Senator Jack Kingston, who notified the FBI to help assist. Through hypnosis, he had partial recollection of his social security number, which was three blank five dash four four dash blank 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 blank. 
He also recalled the possibility of living in Indianapolis and Denver. Might have had two or three brothers, some restaurant experience. He had very little memory beyond the early 1980s. And without a social security number, Kyle would be in and out of homelessness. DNA testing, facial recognition databases, and various news archives were utilized to try to get closer to finding Benjamin Kyle's true identity. He was on Dr. Phil in 2008, which inadvertently led to skepticism by many. The closing crews there anywhere from 11.30 to 1 o'clock in the morning. If his body had been out there unconscious, the closing crew would have seen him. They definitely would have seen him. In 2011, Kyle was approached to be part of a documentary by Florida State grad student John Wilkstrom. He had moved to Jacksonville, Florida to participate in the documentary, traveling by foot. The documentary was called Finding Benjamin. On the man with no name. Surviving a brutal attack almost seven years ago that left him with amnesia. One that seems right out of a soap opera script. Benjamin Kyle. Benjamin Kyle. Benjamin Kyle has been. Hello, my name is Benjamin Kyle. Benjamin Kyle. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in a situation where maybe just. One day you wake up and you have severe amnesia. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you've been. You don't know what your name is. You don't know what you stand for in life. How, how depleting, how reducing, how emptying must that be? I want to propose to us, well, I don't want to propose to us, I want to tell us that that is what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to rob us of our identity. Benjamin Kyle couldn't even get a job because he had no identification. Nobody knew who he was. There was no friends or family looking for him. He had no identity. So he couldn't even get a job. He spent years living rough, in the fields, in shelters where he could only sleep for the night and then he had to go out in the day. He couldn't get work in the day, so he was just scrounging. But the heart-wrenching thing is, he didn't know who he was. This morning's message is simply called this, identity theft. Identity theft. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take away your identity. If you're in Christ this morning, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior and invited him into your life, the devil can't take that away, but he can take away your identity in him. He's always looking to steal our identity in Christ. The Bible is clear on this. Ephesians 5.8 says that we were darkness and now we are light. Notice, we were. Paul is talking to the Ephesians. He says, you were darkness. He's not saying you were in darkness. He's saying you were darkness. Many people in this room watching online, you can understand that and you can testify to that because you were once darkness. And when you accepted Jesus, you became light. The light of Jesus Christ shone through you. Can I hear an amen? Does anybody know the experience that I'm talking about? You might think you're 
alone in this and that everyone else is strong in their identity, but I'd guess that's not the case. We're all susceptible to Satan taking away our identity from us. The devil even tried this with Jesus. When Jesus started his ministry, sorry, my button's just come undone. Uh, when he started his ministry, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew records this, chapter 4. And the enemy, the devil, comes, Satan comes himself to tempt him and to deceive him and to rob him, even Jesus, of his identity. He says, if you are the Son of God, he's putting doubt in his mind, even trying to doubt Jesus by saying, if you are the Son of God. He's out in the wilderness 40 days fasting and praying. He says, look, if you are the Son of God, you can turn these stones into bread and you can eat. So even Jesus, even Jesus. I want to read some scripture, and I want to pull out some particular parts of this scripture, but it's a reasonably long scripture, and sometimes we just need to not skirt around things, and we need to get the fuller context of things. So we're going to take a few minutes just to read. It's going to be familiar to many of you in the room uh, and watching online but it might be equally the first time we've heard this. It's a parable, that means a story that has got a parallel meaning that Jesus brings out for us. And it's probably um, top of the pots when it comes to all the parables of Jesus. It's the parable of the prodigal son, probably one of the most famous out there. And uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to open them or turn them on, you can do that. Equally, it's going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to read from Luke 15, 11. And it says this, Jesus told them this story. That's the parable. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Note this, underlined. This is my underlining. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. We'll come back to this, but this is one of the most important parts of this parable that gets missed. The, the wealth was divided between the sons. And there was two sons, and in the Jewish custom, according to the, 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 the law in the Old Testament, which we read, you will see that the older son would have a double share. So it would kind of, if there was two sons, it was split into three, and the older son would have a double share. We'll come back to that. Here's the context. Let's just read through and absorb this story. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began, he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. 
But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, note again, in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So often we, we look at that popular parable just through the story of the prodigal son, quote unquote. But his brother is as much a key player in this narrative, in this story, in this parable. And it's that which I want to really pull out for us this morning, because if we miss this, we miss a crucial teaching that I want to get across to us this morning. The, remember, the older brother, he, so he says this, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You never, there was an attitude there of, I haven't received. Yet, the father replies and says, everything I have is yours. And then the inclusive language, like we had to celebrate, you as well. He wanted the older brother to come in and celebrate with him, but he was standoffish. He wouldn't go in because he had the wrong attitude. He had the wrong understanding of who he was. His identity was not aligned as the father wanted it to be. You see, Satan can't create. He can only pervert, destroy, and distort. He's not more powerful than God. So in order to get to God, he attacks his creation, primarily his children. That's, that's the way he gets to it. Look, if you want to get to me, don't have a go at me, because I can take it. Have a go at my kids. And then you'll really get to me. And you know what I'm talking about. Because if you've got kids, your eyes are probably welling up now as well. Because there's something emotive. There's something of the creative order that comes from someone when it gets, when it gets abused, attacked, or whatever. Then we feel it, right? It's a part of us. It. And it's the same with God. The enemy tries to erase our identity. Can't take away our salvation. But he can get us to live a defeated Christian life. And, and if you're anywhere 
sensing or feeling that, that is part of your story at the moment, that I'm believing for every single person with the sound of my voice in this room, online, listening back on the podcast, that we can make a start today, that we can make a significant start of a journey into a, 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 an understanding of our true identity in God. It may take some time, but we can make a start today and we can be released from everything that the enemy is trying to throw at us. I want to basically break the rest of my message down into four steps. And these steps are the processes that I'm going to encourage us all to go to and through from this moment forwards. And we're all going to be at different stages of this, but I, I feel and I sense that God's told me to bring this message because we get stuck right at the beginning. And if we don't get past the beginning, we're not going to get to where God wants us to. If we're stuck in Egypt or even walking around the mountain in the wilderness, we're not going to get to our promised land. And that's, as a pastor, that's where I want us all to be and to live in. Amen? So step one is this. Um, step one is, uh, and this is the journey to live out our true identity as a child of God, is to receive the Father's affirmation. Even at Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke. His son um, um, he, he said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Do you remember that? And we can look back to the story as well that we've just read, the prodigal son. And it says, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. How wrong is that? How evil, when you think about it, how evil is that, that you, that a that, that humankind can produce another human in the order that God created as a mandate to do, to be father and son, and then for a son to say, I'm not worthy to be a son. That is pure evil for me. That is where the enemy tries to get in. But we've just read his response. But his father said to him, said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been waiting for, fattening and waiting for. We must celebrate with a feast. That's how God sees you, irrespective of your behavior. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah and no. No, 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 no. It's no yeah and no. It's yes and yes. There's nothing you can do more for God to love you the way he does. There's nothing you can do less for God to love you the way he does. If you're in Christ, you are his child. And he loves you regardless. He doesn't always love the things that we do. But I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about who we are. I'm talking about our identity. How far you go and how much you grow is not dependent on what you think about God. It's all dependent on what God thinks about you. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to remind you that God loves you regardless. Just let that sink in. Because automatically we'll go to, oh, well, I did this yesterday. Or I blew it 20 years ago. Or I'm not sure I can level up to what God wants me to be. It's nothing to do with your identity. He loves you regardless. Put your hand up if you've done the Freedom in Christ course. Okay, I reckon that's a good half, probably a little bit more. 
On that course, you get to do several great things, and some of those are based around um, declarations. And one of the most powerful things in that course is where you get to read out a list of promises, a list of truths in the Bible that um, relate to us as children of God. And we're going to do that now because I believe that God wants to cement this in. This is part of the process that we have to do. We have just as much as the enemy wants to keep telling us lie, we have to keep affirming the truth till it gets ingrained in us so much. So not, not just doing it once on a Freedom in Christ course three years ago. I'm talking about doing this as often as you need to so it becomes a reality. So it becomes your everyday breath, if you like. I am a child of God. So we're going to read these together. If you want to stand up, why don't we all stand up? Because sometimes standing up is a sign to us first and foremost and to God and to those around that we're serious about and we're taking serious about what we're saying. So you don't have to. If you're not able, that's fine. The important thing is that we read these out. So um, we're going to read them after three. One, two, three. I am God's child. You don't have to read the scriptures. We'll just keep going. As a disciple, I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord, and I am one with him in spirit. I have been bought with a price, and I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. Just hold it there a second. Let's start to say these, but let's say them like we mean them. Let's say them, these, with a bit of conviction. Even if we're not sure, um, trust me, this is all Bible, so what you're reading is truth, okay? Let's go, keep going. I have been chosen by God. Oh, we've lost it, have we? Go back one. Just go back one for me, please. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. I have been redeemed and forgiven all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. I am free from any condemnation brought against me, and I cannot be separated from his love. I am confident that God, I'll go back one, Sue, thank you. It's all right, no problem. I am confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of his life. 
I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that the lot? Thank you, Sue. Why don't we give God a round of applause and a hand of praise. Thank you, Lord. That is who we are in Christ. Amen? That is who we are. Give me a louder amen. We are all those things and more. If you want to look to your identity, you just need to look into the words of Scripture. It's so important that we understand this first base of four, if you like, that we need to receive the Father's affirmation. As I said, even Jesus received that affirmation from the Father at his baptism. And do you know what? The Father's, particularly the Father's affirmation is so important. And in this world that we're living in right now, where there is almost a fatherless society, there's like an epidemic of fatherlessness, if I can say it in that way. And it's all the enemy's doing because he knows. He knows the relationship that God created and ordained between father and son. And some of you, some of you in this room, some of you online have not had that relationship with your natural father. Some of you don't even know who your real fathers are. And that the enemy is all behind that. But thank God we have our heavenly father. You know, he ordained it so that natural fathers would echo and, and, and resemble something of the Father God in heaven. And the enemy wants to take that away. He wants to destroy that because we all need affirmation of a father. And that's why we need spiritual fathers. That's why we need spiritual mothers and fathers, but particularly the fathers so some of you need to, as we saw last week, some of you need to go to some of the people like Paul and Joan and say, look, you guys have been around for decades. You've done this thing called Christianity for years. I'm not saying you're perfect, but, sh but you know so much. You can help me to see who I am. Just they'll have you around their house for beans on toast. That's what they do. And there are others of you as well. And there are others who aren't here today. Don't wait for an invite. Go to them. They've got like their life story in a book. It might not be written, but it's inside of them. And you can pull something out. Not only that, you can receive something of that spiritual fathering and mothering which God ordained. And that's what the enemy wants to take away. So we have to get that right as first base. In the book that I recently wrote, section one was all about who we are in Christ. It's about, it's entitled saints. The Bible says that we are saints. That's our identity. We're saints who sin. We're not sinners who try and be saints. And section two is about holiness. The word he uses, the biblical word, sanctification, about how we become more like God. We become, it's easy to become more like 
God when we understand who we are in God. But if we don't get section one right, section two becomes all driven by behavior. And when we try and become more godly and we mess up, which we do all the time, no one is perfect, then that becomes our identity. And our identity becomes a deficit because we've backslid, whether it be for an hour or for a year. And that becomes our identity. But that's not our identity. That's why it's important that we understand everything that we've just read and declared, everything God says about us. We are sons and daughters of the true living God. Amen? So the second step is that we need to make sure that we remove the false identities. Is that really the time on the clock? Have I been going 28 minutes? Good grief. I better do this really quickly then. The false identities come from people's opinions. Oh, we still got a bit of time to catch up. Are we all right to go for a few, yeah? Couple extra, couple extra minutes? Yeah, who'll give me two minutes? Who'll give me two minutes? Yeah, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 18. Right, fantastic. Well, the old ones are the best. Okay, we need to remove our false identities. Your identity is not established by what you do. It's not established by your income or your interests. It's not formed by your achievements or your personality or even by your God-given gifts. My identity is not up here with a microphone uh, as pastor. That's not my identity. As we've already seen, my identity in Christ is that I'm a child of God. People will put their opinions on you. They will put words. Maybe you've had words spoken over you as a child, and it's become your identity. Maybe you've had parents, school teachers said, you'll never amount to anything. You're useless. You're worthless. And they become our identity. That's what the enemy wants to do. And that is not who we are. Hurt and pain can cause a false identity. The way we've been treated, maybe things outside of our control, traumas, they can become, and your identity becomes a victim. That's not your identity in Christ. Media, culture, society, you just have to go on social media and the whole comparison thing, and you get highlights which are tweaked and amended and distorted anyway to make you look better and have all got filters on uh, to make it even worse for you because you think everybody else's life is even more perfect and it makes you feel inferior and then your identity becomes that of inferiority. Wrong thinking. The devil gets you to think that you've messed up again. You should be ashamed. You have to earn God's approval. You'll never do anything right. They can become your identity. If the devil can't get you to change what you think about God, he'll get you to change what you think about you. So it's vitally important that you rid yourself of these false identities. They're, they're the main two where we're going to camp. Let me just do the other two quickly. And this is where I, I just love, as a pastor, I would love for you to get to if you're not already there. Uh, step three is that we embrace emptiness. When you're empty, you don't have to perform. It's amazing. When you're empty, you don't have to achieve. When you're empty, you don't have to strive. When you're empty, it doesn't matter if the church is full or not. When you're empty, it doesn't matter whether you get an amen or not. It's a wonderful place to be, and God wants us to be there. When you're empty, you're not bothered what others think. Only what God thinks is important. The older brother of the prodigal son 
had his identity in doing. He said to his father, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. How sad is that? Sounds great on the outside, doesn't it? It sounds diligent and honoring and obedient. And they're all good things. But that's, that wasn't his identity. It's at the point of emptiness where you truly become a human being, not a human doing. Remember our word for the year, to be. I think it's just a crucial interjection, a reminder for us that first and foremost, all our doing should be out of being. And if we don't end up doing anything, the most important thing is that we be who we are. True identity isn't achieved. It's received. Jesus just said, hey, here's your identity. And this morning, I'm saying, are you going to pick up your spiritual ID card if you haven't already got it firmly in grasp and all those things that we just read out, if you, know, if you, if you don't believe, I'm just saying it's, it's a gift. Here it is. I mentioned my kids and they don't have to work at being my children. They just are my children. There's nothing they can do more or less to make me love them any more or less. Temptation is to fill the void with doing something, but we just need to be content in who we are, not what we do. Let's go quickly, because time's up, onto the last section, which is step four, go with God's flow. Out of your emptiness, you step into, right, you say, God, I've finished with me. <laughs> I've finished with trying to achieve things. Now, how about we have a go where you do things through me, Lord? That, that you flow through me. So we go with God's flow. You could say that we accept his grace. We walk in his grace. Grace is not a cover-up. I don't know whether you know this. Grace is not the big cover-up. Grace is an empowerment. Grace actually means God leaning in to you. It's like he's, he's, he's coming and just, oh, just everything about him comes over you and he imparts his grace and his love into him. Grace actually empowers us to do the things that God wants us to do. How amazing is that? And when you're empty and his fuel, the power of his love and might and gift and resource comes through you, it's a wonderful place because you know you're not doing it in your own strength. Acts 4.13, don't know any of you remember this, but it's a neat little verse. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, but they also recognized that these men had been with Jesus. That's where grace comes from, being with the Father. I could talk more about that, but time's up, you get the gist. But it's those first two that I really want to make sure that we get through in and on this morning. Here's the truth. God has already given you identity as a believer, but the devil is trying to steal it from you. Just put that last graphic on for me, please, Sue. So we've already seen at the beginning the devil, well, Satan's hand is outstretched to take, but God's hand is outstretched to give. And my simple question to you this morning is, have you received not him, his love, his salvation, 
There's nothing great in that, but have you received your identity that comes along with that? Maybe you have and you've put it to one side and the devil's made you think it's not important. Pick it up again. Pick up that spiritual ID card this morning. We're going to sing two songs as we finish. We're on time, we're fine. Because I want to, I want to leave an appropriate amount of time for us to respond in our hearts, and that's the right thing to do this morning. To respond to our Heavenly Father. And we're going to sing a couple of older songs that we haven't sung for a while, but they speak into everything that I have been talking about this morning. And as we sing these lyrics, I want you to focus in. Don't just get stuck in the melody, but get stuck in the truth of the lyrics that we're singing. It's all going to fit in. It's all going to align with what I've said. And the important thing is that we push the seed of the Word of God into the soil of our hearts, deep down, so that the birds of the air can't come and take them away. And as we continue to do that and we water it, that we water that soil with our confession, and maybe you need to read these confessions daily. Maybe you're at a stage where you just need to get out of a rut. You need to get out of a place of opposition. You need to get out of a place where the enemy's actually had you pigeonholed. You know you're in Christ. He knows you're in Christ. But... Uh, but just having you trapped. Look, you're not born to be trapped. You're born to be free. You're born again to be free. You're not just born again to wait to go to heaven. Eternal life starts the minute you receive Jesus and freedom comes. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, Paul says to us. And he said to the Ephesians, we've got the very life and essence of God inside of us, all of his purity, all of his goodness, all of his, his resource. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. But if we're trapped in a wrong identity, we will always struggle. We might have a good day. We might hear a sermon, get an amen, and, and go at it for a while. And then suddenly the enemy just knows what button to press, what person to bring along to us, what words to say, to echo from the past where we were in darkness. But we need to remind ourselves we were darkness, but now we are light. Stand to your feet with me.